welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Revelation 21, and the last time the message was titled Transition and Renewal, and you're starting to see, and again, God, at times, he tells us the future, and I think it's really to encourage us. I think about the persecuted church under the Roman government, how they got to see these images, they got to be encouraged about what God was going to do, that all of his believers could participate in it. And I think about persecuted Christians today. Um, it was a Christianity Today. There was one of the periodicals that said that 2020 was one of the worst years for Christian persecution. But you won't see that on the mainstream media. These are our brothers and sisters, Chinese Christians, North Korean Christians, African Christians, who uh, we're going to see in eternity. Imagine the stories that they're going to tell about faith and courage and hanging on even though the authorities were against them. Um, I, I wanted to also throw something in, just kind of, sometimes I'll, I'll, well, I'm probably my harshest critic. I listen to the messages afterwards, and I'm like, you know, I could have said it that way. But last Sunday was a great message of hope, right? New heavens, new earth, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more death, no more cancer, no more PTSD, no more anxiety, no more... Anything that's negative, uh, Revelation 21, 3 through 4, right? The Lord is going to remove. He's going to remove it. He's not going to brainwash us, but he's going to remove the negative things that we accumulated baggage over the years. And I want to make this point clear, is that society, we live in a culture that labels people. And if I could even concede to the process, whether it's education, medical, or even the addictions and psychological realm... What they do is they try to label people so that they can find a solution and help you through that. So I understand that. But God can do things that are so much greater than the labeling of society. I think there's just too much labeling going on. I got to be honest with you. Many years ago, I had crippling, crippling anxiety and panic disorder. There were a few times I had pains going down my chest and my arm. I'm like, this is definitely a heart attack. Well, it wasn't a heart attack. It was panic. It was crippling. Um, I don't get them anymore, you know, so yeah, I could have had a label and I did have a label, but the label doesn't apply to me anymore. Before I was a Christian, I engaged too much in substance abuse, mainly alcohol. And again, I could have, I, I had a label, right? There was a label affixed to me from people looking from the outside, but it doesn't affect me anymore. It's not even a desire. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastor Joe's life is not perfect, okay? I've had many surgeries. I've had many problems. Trust me, I've had my fair share of tribulation that Jesus speaks of. But I, I just really wanted to drive home the point the last time we came together that God can heal, that God can change, and that don't fit into a box that another human being has put you in. Amen. It's really, really important to understand. So today we're going to talk about the new Jerusalem. We're going to talk about the incredible details. We're going to talk about why God gives us these details. And I'm telling you, between 
the last time, this time, if you're going through the series of Revelation and you're having a, a rough day, maybe you've lost your job, maybe uh, you're young and your future is uncertain, you know, maybe you have a lot of these things that you don't necessarily share with people, but as we go through the scripture, this is coming, this is coming. And again, in America, we have our problems, but I think that this is so much more encouraging for Christians outside of this country where Christianity is illegal and they're literally being hunted. Um, so they can look forward to this hope and, and know that uh, their eternity is secure. And we're going to look at this in four parts. Revelation 21, starting with verse 9. It says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, right, the vials filled with the seven last plagues, we saw that, came to me and talked with me. This is the Apostle John saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. And he talked, he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. So reed like a measuring stick. And the city laid out, was laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs, or roughly 1,400 miles, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, um, roughly 220 feet, um, understanding from the original language that it's, it's actually a thickness that's measured according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. And the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was of pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So I'm going to actually break up this chapter. We, we did the first chapter, very important part. Didn't want to, you know, go into other details yet. This is going to be the second part of uh, the chapter. And then I have one more Sunday to finish up the chapter. It's just that important. I mean, this is, this is our, folks, this is our future. This is, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, if you've ever maybe bought a, I haven't, but you bought a, a plot of land, right? People get so excited and it's cool. Hey, uh, I'm going to move to a, a less high tax state out of New Jersey and they buy a big plot of land and they're, they're building a modular or they're having a home built and they're just so excited. They put the foundation in. Oh, they put the, you know, the, the trucks came and they started putting the walls together and the electricians came and it, it's, it's exciting. This is exciting, too, because, you know, you don't have to worry about termites. You don't have to worry about uh, mold or things that plague our homes, you know, a leaking roof. 
this Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to build a beautiful place for you. My father's house are many mansions. Well, what if there's 1 billion 100? He's got enough room. He's got enough material. So this is exciting. And I'm going to try to tie everything together with what the scripture says in when Jesus was on the earth, the things he kind of telegraphed, and then the descriptors here. So let's, lots, a lot of stuff here. So we're going to look at this in four parts. Uh, so one, details, details, one out of four. What is New Jerusalem, right? This comes with the future new heavens and the new earth. And, you know, I don't know if it's an age thing, but as I get older, I love nature more. My wife and I are so excited. We, we planted vegetables. We planted all kinds of stuff. And spring has sprung. And uh, I know it's kind of gloomy because it's raining, but the raining is, makes me excited because I put... Um, um, linden trees in for the bees, for the pollinization. And, you know, my wife is a master gardener, so I, I glean the intelligence from her. And I'm seeing the, 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 I got an apple tree that's budding. I'm like, I got a fig tree and the leaves are, I'm like, why is he saying all this? <laughs> because spring is gorgeous in New Jersey. You know, life comes back, you know, the reds and some of the, the trees, the pinks and the whites and, I notice all this. Sometimes we can drive down the road and be so myopic that we don't see the beauty of God's creation, folks. But this new heavens and the new earth is going to be more incredible. I love watching animal videos. I love when the dolphins come up to people on the boat and they play in the ocean and you can see them sometimes from the shoreline. It's exciting. But this is going to be, and this is a fallen creation that we're in right now. This is going to be so much more exciting. And I can't wait for it. So we, we see a description of, so you, you have three things going on, right? You got the new heavens, no more pollution, no more, you know, um, skin cancer and all that kind of, all that stuff's gone. So the, the heavens are changed. The earth is changed. And then there's also this new Jerusalem city, which we kind of can't kind of piece where it goes together, but we're going to try. So it tells us about gates, walls, um, the temple in various scriptures in the past, right? We've covered this. I taught Nehemiah, Nehemiah 3, Ezekiel 48. Uh, you see in different eras, the walls and the gates of, of the actual earthly Jerusalem. And, and there's some remains today in Israel, the gate and, and artifacts and stuff. So uh, they gave us a, a topographical description um, in, in these other scriptures. And, and again, if you've been to Israel, you, you could see it firsthand of Jerusalem, uh, the temple, etc. But this is something different. This is New Jerusalem, which is a perfect cube. I'm going to get back to that. In 1 Kings 6, it tells us that the Holy of Holies in the temple... Right? With Solomon's building the temple, or really God's giving them the architecture and the blueprints and all that kind of stuff and telling them where to go get the materials, which is pretty awesome. But the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah glory, God's physical presence would be, First Kings 6, was a perfect cube. We're going to talk about that. Shekinah glory, the light of God, the manifestations of God. So we're going to try to wrap our minds around these descriptors. Verse 9, I'll read it again. He says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Can you imagine how remarkable that is? <laughs> this angel, right? Um, probably not that long ago, he's preparing the bowls and 
sending down some fire and brimstone. And he takes a pause and he's hanging out and talking with the Apostle John. Hey, come over here. I want to show you something. Maybe John was a little uh, friend or foe, you know. No, no, we're good. We're on the same side. Uh, So that's pretty exciting. And I got to tell you, that's the side that I want to be on. That's the side that I want to be on. Sadly enough, and I do a lot of witnessing. I have friends from my old job, friends from college, and uh, I'm trying to get them to understand that this world is a sinking ship. Sadly, so many people in the world that have, don't have a personal relationship, and I don't say this to criticize because I was on that side. It took a while for me to make the transition too. They see this world as this is where everything is. This is where it's at. And people are deceived. They're deceived by it, right? Um, we have billionaires and powerful people, World Economic Forum, look it up, the Davos Agenda, pretty much trying to control the world, trying to control the United States, Western civilization, and by extension, everywhere else through this aggressive globalism. You know what's amazing? It's human beings never learn their lessons. We saw this in Genesis, everybody getting together and building the tower and leaving God out of it and getting to the the heavens and building really the ancient version of skyscrapers, the ziggurats. You know, we're going to we're going to ascend to heaven, but we're not going to do it with God. We're going to leave him out of it. And he he destroyed everything. He scattered everyone. Well, mankind has been trying to get back to the Tower of Babel since the beginning. And now they're doing actually a pretty good job of it. And I say that not in a good way. So, you know, you you look at some of these people, how they talk, how they want society to be more control, more censoring. Because remember, if you don't have God and that you're that powerful, you have a deity complex. You think you're God. You think you're put on this earth to for everyone else to listen to you because you're so wonderful. Um, So you start looking at some of these websites. They they tell the story themselves. Look at their agenda. See what they want to do. It's just what Revelation is saying. We, we as a world, and it's amazing, do they ever read the Bible? Does anybody say, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea, caution? But they're moving aggressively towards this, this, this foundation where the Antichrist will sit as a global fascist. This is where we're going as a world. So like John, I want to be on the right side of history, the proper, the correct side of history. Because secular solutions aren't working. We keep failing as a human race. So he says, the lamb's wife, the bride. Now, this part gets a little confusing for my Bible students. You know, you might look at this and have different opinions. Um, I thought, and and I'm painting myself into a corner on purpose, Ephesians 5 tells us that believers in Christ collectively are the bride or the wife of Christ, the lamb. And, of course, this is a metaphoric term. It's that close relationship that we have with Jesus. So how is the city an inanimate object, the lamb's wife, right? The lamb's bride. How how do we discern that? And let me just say this because I kind of have my ideas and I actually like to look at different Bible commentators. A lot of Bible commentators struggle with this concept because, all right, here's a caveat. (laughs) I'm going to do the best I can today through the rest of the book to explain to you what God's going to do based on what he tells me in black and white. But trust me, when we get there, you're going to say, Pastor Joe, at the time, I thought you did a good job, but it's nothing compared to what we're experiencing. So if you think that any man is going to tell you, you know, lock it down 
and oh, you totally have that. Forget about it. I'm doing the best I can. I, and why I'm saying this is God is so wonderful that even the beauty that we read off the pages isn't going to do justice when we actually see it. And we're going to see it. So that's my caveat. So let me continue. Don't put so much pressure on me. <laughs> okay. So what do we got going on here? Well, I look at the city. So let me, let me give a little bit of filler here, a little context. I look at the new Jerusalem as having um, layers and depths of meaning. And, and where I'm going with this is when I taught Revelation 18 through 19, we looked at the harlot and that metaphor. She wasn't an actual person. And we looked at Babylon. And Babylon actually has more layers of depthness of, of depth than the harlot, okay? And we went into all the things that Babylon means and represents. It layered meanings. It was a complex system, okay? And that was for bad. So now for good, let's make a parallel here. For good, you have New Jerusalem, you have believers, the redeemed, and you have God's presence, all three, inextricably linked, if that helps, so there's a, you know, and it doesn't mean that we, we have to stay in this cubed city and we can't go out and play with the animals. No, it doesn't mean that. Um, again, he's created a new earth, beauty, the heavens, the new Jerusalem. I don't know, maybe it's a, a playground for the redeemed. I'm not really sure. But Jesus said something while he was on the earth in John 14. He told his followers and by extension, all believers that when he goes you know, the, the disciples struggled with Jesus leaving, especially him being crucified. So he's resurrected, spends 40 years, excuse me, scratch that, 40 days post-resurrection ministry, and then he's ascended into heaven. So they, they're struggling with the concept. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to leave you orphans. And, and when I go to my father's house, there's many mansions. You know, and, and when I go, part of what I'm going to do is prepare a place for you. Is this city the domicile? Is it the, the, the place with the mansions that we, do we even sleep? I don't think we sleep, right? It's a kind of a human thing and we have to regenerate and the brain has to back flush and all. There's a whole science behind sleep and sleep deprivation. I don't even think we sleep. So again, I'm struggling here, okay? Out of all the chapters, I'm struggling with this one. I don't know, but it's going to be cool. I repeat that a few times. So let's, let's back up with this. The lamb's wife, I believe, is the redeemed who are uh, part and parcel to the city, the new Jerusalem. So it's sort of that, that permanent home, but we can leave and go different places. And I got a lot of other interesting ideas, too. Um, yeah, so I think I covered that. Okay, let's look at verse 10. And then he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. So the angel is showing him why a high mountain? Because you're not at the ground level, but you're not at heaven's level. You're at a high mountain. So when you actually see this event taking place, it's actually quite fascinating. You see it from the bottom right in front of you. Is it hovering? Some Bible commentators think that the new Jerusalem is, it kind of hovers around the earth. All right. Is, is that what's going on here? Don't know. But let me read that again. So he carries to him, him to a high mountain, shows him the great city, the holy set apart Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Pretty neat stuff. Um, since the beginning of time, every single city, right? Every single city has been tethered 
geographically to the earth. You have longitude, latitude, the geographical coordinates. Unless, of course, you see fantasy movies, right? Like, uh, for my Star Wars fans, Lando Calrissian's Cloud City. Anybody remember that? <laughs> a few Star Wars fans, right? Um, very interesting, George Lucas. He did use some Eastern mysticism in Star Wars. He did grab from a lot of places, but he definitely grabbed from the Bible. Anakin is a variation of Anakim, right? Endor. Um, who knows? Did he read the Bible at some point? Because some of these names are actually kind of deep in the scripture. Did he have a familiarization with some of the scripture? Uh, the cloud city, the city that is permanently suspended, uh, never really touches the earth. It kind of orbits right, the planet. It's a fascinating thing to think about. So people over the years have kind of stolen um, even the whole Messiah complex or understanding. A lot of people steal from, from the scripture even to make their movies. And um, it's good because I guess for them, they don't have to pay royalties. Who are they going to pay if they steal it from the Bible? Uh, so, but this is, this is a stark difference, right? Because earthly Jerusalem was plagued with problems. And we see Jerusalem today. How many times has Jerusalem been conquered? How many times have, have they been attacked, right? Now, this is history. I enjoy history. Have they been, they've repelled their attackers. Other times, their attackers were able to breach the walls. The Assyrians tried but failed. The Babylonians ended up getting in. The Romans and ended up destroying the city in the Roman-Jewish wars of A.D. 66 through A.D. 70. So um, any earth, earthly city needs walls, gates, protection, Right. In modern uh, day, you need some sort of air superiority or an air force to, so you don't get, you know, get bombed. But earthly Jerusalem was plagued with problems that the new Jerusalem won't have. Right? It's not going to have that problem. It's not going to have any problems. Um, and also, earthly Jerusalem was a place where God told his people, you know, I want to physically, I want you to see my presence. I want to dwell there. I want you to see my manifestations. I always want you to focus on me. And that was one of the ways that symbolically that he could get his people to continue to focus on him. But unfortunately, earthly Jerusalem was always being drawn away from Babylon, by Babylon. And when we covered that, right, Babylon, the concept Babylon, the spiritual uh, situation, it's, oh, even today, right? Satan is always trying to, if somebody tries to get close to coming to Jesus Christ, there's always these road bumps, you know, speed bumps and roadblocks. And, you know, sometimes it's a very rocky road for somebody to actually finally rest in following Christ because Satan doesn't want people to leave, you know, the ignorance and the blindedness and all that other kind of stuff. A lot of people are interested, they're curious, but they never make the full leap. Because there's such a strong evil presence in this sin-marred creation. However, New Jerusalem doesn't have to deal with any of that stuff. It's pretty neat. And again, I've said this before. The institutions of mankind at this point have become corrupted. So we need to look forward to this. We need to have that hope. Right? So verse 11, continuing on. Having the glory of God, right, this city, and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So next Sunday, I'm going to get more into the, um, the stones and the colors and all that kind of neat stuff. But two out of four is the lighting properties, the lighting properties of New Jerusalem. So if there's any serious city, right, in the world, um, whether it's New York City or Las Vegas or there's just a ton of lights, and, and if you're on a plane, a lot of times you can see it's, 
There's just so much lighting. So cities need light. However, this is a totally different concept because I believe that part of the light that they're experiencing is emanating from God's beauty and his glory. Right? We're told that in this new dispensation in eternity, there's no need for the sun, the S-U-N, because we have the sun, S-O-N. Right? So the, the light emita- emanates from God. Now, I love waking up in the morning on a sunny day and looking outside, and the, the color of the sun is so beautiful. And I even get sometimes my, with my lighting, I get uh, 27 to 2900 Kelvin, which is a color temperature which closely uh, mimics the sun early in the day because it's beautiful. But it doesn't matter because when, when we get into this dispensation, we can't imagine how beautiful God's light is going to be. So we, we get used to things here, and then some people say, oh, but I miss the sun, but I miss this. Trust me, when God brings us into this new dispensation, we're not going to miss anything, okay, because it's God. Um, I say that, again, God's light or God's glory emanates throughout the city, and I don't say that flippantly because if we go back to Revelation 4, which we covered, what did we see in the throne room of God? When, when John is transported into the throne room of God and, and all that stuff is written down and he sees colors, he sees light, he sees the sea of glass. We're going to talk about that as well. A lot of similarities there. A lot of scripture. Um, Bible tells us that uh, God is light, right? We see that in the Old Testament and New Testament. How does that work out? Um, what came first? God's light. What came later, him creating stars to brighten uh, and, and, you know, do photosynthesis and stuff with certain solar systems. But God's light came first. Right? The creation was void without form. And then God breathed life in Genesis into the creation. Pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. So I'm, I'm just, if you're new to the church, I, you have to, when you're in Revelation, you have to pull from all the culmination of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and you hear me do that, because Revelation, the apocalypsis, is the unveiling, is the revealing of Jesus Christ. And through Christ, everything was created in the beginning. So it all kind of comes together at the end. Um, so we hear that, or we don't hear, it's, we read it in Scripture, God is light. We also know that God is love. And we also know that God is spirit. However, the, the really neat thing about this is in this dispensation, check this out. We are going to relate to God on his level. Right now, we're sinners. So we, we have these competing interests inside of us on any given second, any given moment, any given day, any given circumstance. We still, unfortunately, are tied to the flesh with its cravings and its desires. But we also are born again of the spirit. Uh, I say sometimes when I was in the world, life was a little bit easier because I was a brute, you know, fleshly person who just everything I did was about me. I worshiped self. Then I become a believer and I'm born again of the spirit. So now there's competing interests. Right. So even as Christians, we struggle, don't we? Christians cry. Christians get depressed. Christians go through uh, difficult periods. Some of you watching or in this very place might be struggling right now. Um, And we're trying to relate to God through our spirit, but we also have competing interests. So in a sense, we're relating to God now on our level because we're kind of stuck in this dispensation. What I'm trying to show you and teach you is that In this dispensation that we're going to find, we're going to relate to God on his level. 
Again, can I tell you what that looks like? No. (laughs) So today your pastor is going to have a lot of question marks. If you're here for the first time, you say, this guy doesn't know anything. Trust me, just start with, with Revelation 1. This one's tough because... I, don't, I won't do it justice if I try to tell you all my views and opinions. But it's going to be great. I'm going to keep saying that. But we are going to relate to him on his level, which is far more better than on this level. 12 through 14. He says, and she, which was, a, I get a, a metaphoric description naming the city as she. She had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Of the Lamb. So, three out of four is the structural properties. This is neat. This is, again, like you're building a house. It's like you're... Your architectural plans and then the, you know, the, the lumber people and then the, the, the mason people de- developing the block and, you know, all the artisans and craftsmen. We're getting a glimpse of the dimensions and the structural properties of the new Jerusalem, of the new Jerusalem. So earthly Jerusalem had walls, gates, valleys. They represented, remember, let's go to earthly Jerusalem. They represented throughout the the era, you know, the different eras, sovereignty and protection. The New Jerusalem has walls, gates, and angels stationed around the wall, but sin has been destroyed. So, why the aforementioned security? I'm going to give you my my ideas, and I believe one word expresses it is memorialization. Memorialization. Now, uh, for those of you who are Bible students, you've probably read Ezekiel. And we see Ezekiel's temple, right? (laughs) And some of the, again, even among Bible scholars, but this is cool. Bible scholars could debate all they want. Eventually, God's going to make it clear to us when we're in his presence. So some things God wants us to know definitively, other things he wants us to look forward, but he hasn't put all the pieces in places for us yet. That's God. He knows what's good for us, right? Um, There's going to be things that the moment we step into eternity, we're going to know that we never knew here. But Ezekiel's temple, why? why I, and there's a lot of questions about Ezekiel's temple. When is it? Why are they doing this? Why does it look like this? What's that cordoning off? You know, I, I've read that. I'll go into it more when we get into Ezekiel's temple. Same thing with this. There's gates, there's walls, there's angel stations. Why? So, again, my opinion is a lot of this has to do with memorialization. So there's going to be things that we remember that are good things, right? I, I believe, and again, people ask me, so no more crying, no more sadness, no more death. Are we, are we going to know each other in heaven? I think we will. I don't think God brings us through a brainwashing machine, but he does take away things that plagued us here. And I've said this before from the pulpit. It's like a surgeon who sees a tumor and he says it's got well-defined borders, but the tumor is bad. The rest of your tissue is good. I'm going to open you up and I'm going to, I'm going to excise that, that little guy and I'm going to pull him right out and leave the good tissue undisturbed. So I believe that when we get to heaven, why would it, if you have, if you have me too, right? If you have bad memories, if you have PTSD, if you have depression, would you want to go through all of eternity with that? Of course not. Nobody would want to. Nobody would want to. Something that, that plagues you 
right? At three, at, when you go to bed at night and it's quiet and you, you know, you're, you're in your room ready to go to sleep and it keeps you up at night. Do you want those types of things to plague you through eternity? Of course not, right? Certain disabilities, certain whatever. I went through this the last time. Um, he's going to remove those things. It's very important for me to say that. However, there's going to be memorializations of what I think are positive things, what the Lord has done. Remember the stones that were put up by the the Jordan River uh, when the Lord stopped the water so the Israelites could cross it. And they put up these stones of memorialization. So I have no doubt there'll be some things in eternity that are memorialized. Good stuff, right? I mean, when John uh, goes up to heaven in, in Revelation, he he looks and he sees a, a lamb as if it was slaughtered. He sees a representation of Jesus Christ. And, and the, the remembrance of the memorialization is that Jesus died for my sins. So there's, there's a lot of stuff in here. That's why I didn't blow through it in one sermon. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. Now, let's look at the, the tribes of Israel. There's a relationship between the tribes of Israel on the gates and, uh, and the apostles on the foundations and um, you see this number 12. We covered this in the Q&A on Wednesday, um, the question and answers. 12 is sort of like the number of governance, right? And, and we, we use numbers similar to that even in our jurisprudence, even for ju- a jury deciding a case. Uh, but God had sort of designated the 12. How did he come up with that number? I have no idea. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was the number of governance. So you see this with, with the, tr- the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel on the gates. And what did God try to do? Now, look at the parallels here. God tried to govern his, the Israelites, no matter how many millions they, they had, no matter how many grandchildren, no matter how much the population expanded. The 12 tribes had sort of a, a governance function and also to try to help to keep the uh, children of Israel as a light, a spiritual light to a pagan world. And if you look on a map and you look at ancient peoples where Israel was, was sort of in the center of the world, if you think about it. Um, You had people to the west, you had people to the east, and it was very interesting how the nations surrounded them. Now, did they always do the right thing? Of course not. They're human beings. They're sinful. But that number and that idea was to to, to show God as a light compared to some of these weird pagan practices and gods that they followed. In addition, the 12 apostles uh, are on the foundations. We also know that when this new concept, right, in the first century of the church came to be, and again, we understand church, but to them, Peter, John, James, this was something new. He also used the number 12 to help them govern this fledgling, persecuted, brand new concept that God designed. And it's, it's lasted 2,000 years, right? Still going strong. They also were supposed to present the light of God, right? Christ, the Holy Spirit, the light of God, evangelism, not yelling at people on a, a crate in the middle of Manhattan and telling everyone they're going to hell. That to me is not an evangelism, but giving strangers the message of hope through Christ. Did they always get it right? Of course not. Right? We're human beings. 
but you, you see the concept, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, you see the number, you see the, the idea um, transition even from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I would say this for those who are maybe have ministries that try to divide the understanding of the Old Testament and Judaism uh, from Christianity to cause an enmity. That makes no sense at all, right? Because how could you be a Christian and be anti-Semitic? How could you be? You know, how do you discount the, the Old Testament, even parts of it? You can't, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. Um, now, let me just kind of stop here before we get into the fourth point is there are uh, teachings that they basically say, oh, your pastor took a year to teach Revelation? Oh, we taught it in one Sunday. Everything's an allegory. <laughs> and some of you who are Bible students uh, understand this. You've seen those types of ministries. Uh, you've seen the symbol, sim, symbolism of everything. That's a problem because God gives us so much detail and he gives us measurements. So if this was an allegory or everything was symbolic, then why go through so much trouble of giving us these numbers, these exact numbers? They're not even rounded, rounded up or rounded down. As a matter of fact, uh, I said I, I rounded up to 1,400 miles. It's actually 1,377 miles. Uh, the, the, the breadth or the thickness of the wall is actually 216 feet. So why does God give us so much detail if he's going to symbolize everything? The answer is he's not. That's just a lazy way to interpret Revelation. Same thing with Genesis. See, the more he gives us, the more clearer it becomes that it's literal. Right? That it's tangible. And folks, every believer yearns for that day. And, and just, you know, bear with me for a moment. Even maybe newer believers who are like, wow, the concept of being in God's presence is a little scary. You don't know what I did last Saturday night. It's not how we need to look at this stuff, right? Of every believer, if you wipe away all the, the, the chaff, every person who knows God or has a relationship with Christ, it, it's, it's a bumpy road sometimes because of us. It's a bumpy road for me sometimes. I'm just being honest with you. But I want to be in God's presence. We all want to be in God's presence, but not being in his presence where he says, you know, you're one of my children. That's always been a problem. But again, people have these ideas and those ideas are not true. Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's not how God looks at us. So when you wash away the untruths or the idiosyncrasies of the human mind, you get to a place where you say, would I want to be in God's presence where imagine the living God opening up his arms and just and enveloping me in his arms or spiritually, however he does it, because he loves me, then every believer would say, yes, I want that. Amen? Because that's the truth. So what I'm trying to tell you is that even in the interpretation, God is saying all this stuff is tangible. It's tangible. Was, a, was that a, a, a phone commercial? Reach out, reach out and touch someone. But, you know, God... <laughs> God wants to touch us. He wants, to, he wants us to be that close. Right now, we're in a problematic time, um, and, and we've covered that. This dispensation isn't going to last forever. He's not going to allow it to, and that's a good thing. So, again, I just want to ask you, are you struggling this morning? What's on your mind? Don't say it out loud. What's on your mind? What keeps you up at night? What are you dreading this week? 
What, have you, what are you regretting last week? This message is for you. Because if it's tied to sin, that's been dealt with at the cross. God, I believe God yearns for this day as much as we yearn for this day. That's my conjecture. We cannot fathom the fact that God loves us more than any human on the planet. We can't fathom the fact that God loves our children more than we do. Our loved one who walked away from him more than we do. That's the God that we serve. We have no idea what pure love looks like on this planet. But we're going to know what it looks like. We're going to know what it feels like. And when, when you experience true love or, or some form of it, you never want it to end in this earth. When you go to be with God, you're going to see a pure love that's never going to end. Nobody wants somebody that we love to take their love from us and stab us in the back or betray us. Nobody wants that. In eternity, that problem doesn't exist. There's probably such a long list, if I made it, of all the things that don't exist anymore. And that's one of those things. So to me, that is exciting. Everybody's got poker face right now. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're absorbing it. You're thinking about it. Somebody's watching on the computer and they're like, oh, I needed to hear that this morning. And that's the whole point of this. Verse 15, last few verses for this morning. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square. And its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs or 1,377 miles. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits or 216 feet, according to the measure of man, that is, the measure of an angel. So four out of four is the dimensions of New Jerusalem. So New Jerusalem is basically a cube. When you look at Solomon's temple... God was very, very clear to Solomon. I want, so the, the temple, there was one large room that contained certain artifacts that had symbol, symbolism. Then there was the curtain, and then there was what was called the Holy of Holies. And God was very clear about that room, what was supposed to be in that room, who could enter it, the frequency they could enter it. And the it's like he wanted, you know, the three dimensions to be exactly cubed. Here, the city, they go, they go out of their way. God goes out of his way to tell us, I want that city to be exact cube. So what happened back then that we can make an inference to now is that what happened back then was that the priest would enter this and only once a year, and he would make a blood atonement, which was a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ did for our sins. It was a temporary covering that the priest did in this room. Blood was used and... Um, you know, that was, a, that was a temporary covering for thousands of years until Christ came and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. So the priest, nobody could just walk into that room. You probably would, would perish immediately. Right? God had specific rules that people had to follow. And even the priest had to go in a certain way and do things a certain way um, to, to meet God in that room. So when we look at that... Um, what we find is, now this is my conjecture, that the city is a perfect cube. We see the emanation of God's light. 
we see the fact that the new believers, the redeemed, are in there somehow. So to me, it's just another layer of like the priest in the Old Testament. All believers get to be in this place and get to bask in God's light, so to speak. Again, another transition to closeness. So let's look at the numbers for numbers people. 12,000 furlongs in ancient measurements is about 1,377 miles. <laughs> of course, I went on the internet and I said, okay, we live in America. We live in the New Jersey area. How long is that? So I started putting in uh, New Jersey to Florida, New Jersey to Illinois. What I came up with <laughs> was, it's just me, I'm sorry, um, is that, and I have to know these things, from Maine to Florida, that's the distance. That's one side. Now think about it. Length, width, height, cubed. So think about it. If you, if John was on a mountain and he was watching this incredible city start to come down, if it hovered over the United States, it would almost completely occlude it, occlude it. And the reason being is because it was so large, because the height lended a lot to the, the occlusion of seeing the United States. Now, where it's going to hover, I have no idea. Is it going to orbit? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. What do you know, Pastor Joe? Only what it says here in the book. Okay. The other issue is we, we normally uh, measure uh, acreage and things like that in square footage. However, this you would measure in cubic feet because it's got another dimension to it. Now, why 1,400 or 1,377 miles? So I'm going to take another crack at this, and I'm just going to have a little fun with this. You can take it or leave my conjecture, is that I believe that, that's high. That is really high. From Maine to Florida, now put that long distance up, you can't even see it. You can't even see how high this thing goes. So my opinion, in 1 Corinthians 15, we have the glory of the terrestrial body, uh, we're going to be changed because you can't really live in eternity with this body. It wouldn't survive physically, the environment, but also, too, is because we still carry sin with us. So God's going to change that. We're not even going to wrestle with our own flesh anymore because there isn't going to be that type of wrestling anymore, which is going to be great. So I believe, Pastor Joe's conjecture, is that not only will we enjoy the spatial, you know, distance, but we're also, we may even defy gravity. We may, in our new bodies, we may be able to go up. There might be so many different things that are happening in that city that you, you can just go in any direction. And um, that, that's my opinion, right? But again, even my opinion, if you say, wow, that's cool. When you get there, you're going to say, Pastor Joe, nice try, but this, this is amazing. <laughs> you did the best you could, but this is it just totally blows my doors off. All right. <laughs> I also look at, you know, some Christians, they do calculations. So there was a person who calculated what a, what a mind bending mathematical excursion, but you can do this is that what he did was he took, he had this number of uh, maybe a hundred billion people that old Testament, new Testament that were for God and they all get saved and what he did was he took the dimensions of the city, right, the three dimensions, cubic feet, for the people, did the division, and then found, Pastor Joe, you're doing math in the morning? <laughs> and then he found that every believer in eternity could get, every believer could get 75 acres apiece. You want to know what the best part is? No property taxes. 
I added that. <laughs> now, I know New Jersey people will appreciate that one. Where can you go and get 75 acres with no property taxes? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Probably no, no taxes at all. Um, but no, the best part is that God is there. <laughs> property taxes is something different. Okay. A few quick things. Verse 17, the angel and like people get hung up sometimes on small things. And I did. And then I looked into it. Uh, what he's saying is he's saying, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel, what he's trying to say is even more so that there's no esoteric, heavenly, mysterious meaning behind the measurements. What God is telling John, by extension, us and all believers, is that it's you, the measurements that you're familiar with as human beings. So it's not this imaginary number, more symbolism. No, he's saying these are the measurements, which is pretty neat. And also, and I covered that part. Okay. So it's pretty neat, isn't it? Isn't it neat? Um, I got to be honest, which I taught Revelation 12 years ago, and I think I blew through the chapter. <laughs> I don't even have my old notes to look through because um, I had my, went to get my computer fixed, and they lost my computer. Yeah, I know. Back it up. I don't back anything up. Because I want all my stuff to be fresh. So, oh, good. They lost Revelation. I got to start from scratch again. I can't cheat. But I don't think that I went through as much detail. I certainly don't think I broke it up 21 into three, three parts. But I just felt, you know, when we look out at this world in American culture, a lot of people are like, what's going on in this country? You know, I, I, I'm one of those, I don't know. I just love evangelism. I'm just one of those strange people that will find any reason to talk to strangers. I do it all the time. I just spoke to uh, uh, one of the trainers in the gym, and he's such a nice guy. You know, I give out scripture cards, and, I, you know, was, I don't know if he's listening. He had, he, had some, he had a tattoo of Jesus, so, hey, there's an open door right there, right? But I just want people to know, because young people today, and, and I'm not blaming them, because it, it's different than when I was in my 20s and 30s. We're seeing a lack of opportunity now. We're seeing uh, toxic work environments. We're seeing a government that doesn't know what it's doing and uncertainty. And like, there's just so much going on. And I actually feel for the younger generation. You know, I I look at, sometimes I look at the person who looks angry and I'm like, Lord, that's the one I want to talk to, right? So I got the guy that I was telling you about. Then there was a a young lady who just looked like she was having a rough day. And uh, I the Lord gave me kind of something that brought us together and opened the door and she started to smile. I gave her one of my cards, but I just want to, I just want to bring happiness. I want to bring joy to people. And I try to look at the world objectively. If I didn't know the Lord and I didn't know what the Bible said, and I was young, I'd be, I'd be afraid for my future too. If I didn't know this stuff. So again, I, I always try to be objective. I try to step back and say, how does everybody else see what's going on in the culture of the world? And what if they don't know the Lord? So that's me. And I feel that I, I want to do it more. You know, I want to do it more because there's great ministry opportunities. There's a lot of people that are hurting out there. And sometimes, surprisingly, again, I'm a stranger. I meet this person for the first time. They'll start telling you things about their life. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, Lord, I didn't expect that because they, maybe they don't, don't have anybody to talk to. Maybe some of their friends aren't real genuine. Maybe they have uh, rough family situations and somebody's just willing to listen to them. So what does that have to do with the message? Everything. We have the truth. And, and listen, 
some people are more, and I get it. Like, Pastor Joe, I'm shy. When you say stuff like that, I feel inadequate. No, 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 no. A smile. Um, you, you can have my cards. You can hand out my scripture cards, you know. Just, you know, uh, somebody looks like they're having a bad day. You can say, listen, I'm, I'm praying for you. Or you can, you can do little things, you know. You don't have to be some great street preacher. You could just, as you're there, you just, and I do this. I pray while I'm standing there, Lord, what... How can the door be opened? What can I do to brighten this person's day? My wife and I actually, it's funny, we have, we're not wealthy people. We go out to, and we feel bad for the, uh, the food industry. So we'll go out to diners and restaurants, not a lot, um, and we tip well. And then we share Christ. Because if you don't know the Lord, if you get a good tip, you're more open to what someone's going to hand you, right? That was in a video, uh, Casting Crowns. And I love it because sometimes they make fun of Christians who do things stupidly. You know, there are a bunch of Christians at a table and they give the waitress like a big meal and they give her a dollar and a tract. Here's a dollar and a tract. Oh, yeah, that'll go far. You know, I mean, we have to, we have to objectively look at how the world is hurting and how we can come out of ourselves a little bit and be a part of the solution. Amen. So God puts us here for a reason. He wants to give us hope for the future. If you know the Bible, you have that hope and you're steady as she goes. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't get bombarded in ministry with trials. We do, but we've got to focus on what's going on. Um, how much uncertainty have we seen? And it's not just COVID, it's uh, social issues and stuff. How much, how much do our leaders know in the last year? You know, leaders who don't know God, they, to me, they come off as inept because they're, they're just grabbing at straws if they don't know Jesus. Anything but Jesus. Well, that's why we're still in the position that we're in. The solution is Christ, you know. Uh, but I'll just leave you with this. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And... So many promises. He tells his followers, I'm not going to leave you orphans. And even when I'm gone, when you don't see me physically, I'm working for your benefit. I'm preparing a place for you. Billions and billions and billions of believers. Hundreds of billions, a, tri a trillion. I don't know how many believers there are. Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus is like, I'm busy. I got to go back up there and I'm going I'm to, it's going to be a nice place, right? I love my house. It's quaint, but... I'm going to love this a lot more than I love my, my current home. Um, so this is a beautiful picture of what he's prepared for us. And that's why in this church, we try to be optimistic. We have to share the things that are troubling at times from the scripture, but we also have an overarching theme of Revelation shouldn't be a scary book. A lot of people that don't know the Lord are like, oh, Revelation, you're teaching that. I'm frightened. No, no, no. Let me tell you what it means. Right? It's encouraging. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions 
or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.